Ladies and gentlemen, inflate your aerostat, reorient your scoop, and thank Cremation Charlie for his sacrifice. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Cremation Charlie, we hardly knew ye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Talk Tell to Me. I am Nick McGill. And I am Omen Said. We are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Tell to Me. A hot air balloon ride over that mysterious country that is the collected works of prog rock band Jethro Tull. With you, dear listener, as our ballast. From the valley <laughs> of stand-up to the mountains of Stormwatch, we will float high enough to gain some perspective. But do we have enough gas to make it through the 90s? Will we, Icarus-like, fly too close to the sun? Stay tuned and find out. Don't don't you sometimes have to throw ballast out if you're sometimes you do have to <laughs> yes you do we're looking sorry, at you sorry Germany. listeners <laughs> we have a we have a strong Germany contingent so yeah, yeah. I, he's I he, he can press a lot actually if I if I knew how to apologize in German I would do that right now <laughs> but I don't Guten Tag you just give them Poland yeah ooh too soon. Maybe. <laughs> this week we have nothing because thick as a brick is so thick. We are going to. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. The fervor got out of control. Oh, so it. as promised last week, Omen is going to grace us with the Rolling Stones review for Thick as a Brick, which I, for one, am very excited about because they've been been so all over the map with the last i think we've been doing it for what two three albums now yeah uh, maybe we've actually done it for every single album but at any rate it's it's a lovely hi tiki it's a lovely check-in <laughs> for us you know because it's easy for us to get caught up in our own opinions about the albums and it's and it's nice to know what uh, what rolling stone thought about it i i half agree because I don't put a whole lot into what Rolling Stones has, has shown us so far, but I'm also very excited to hear what they have to say. Now, Nick, this is, this is a, a longish review, so you know, feel free to cut out whatever of it you like. Okay. And who is our reviewer? This Rolling Stones review is brought to us by your friend and mine, Ben Gerson. He... He, he must have had the Jethro Tull beat. That's the yeah. only logical yeah. explanation. He was, he was early. He was in early on a Monday when when the first album came across the desk, and he was he was new, so he got it. Yep. And little did little did uh, his editor realize that it would be a lifelong career for him. So many albums. So, I wonder if he's still doing so them. Many albums. Oh I can't gosh. wait to see. All right, are you it's ready? Exciting. Yes, Ben Gerson, what have you got to say about Thick as a Brick? <clears throat> Tiki. Tiki. Tiki, please stop. Tiki? She's mouthy today. Yeah. I love it. Go I'm not editing. Away. I'm not editing any of it out. Go. Is she meowing because I left the room? She's meowing, yes, because we're not in the same room. 
From the desk of Ben Gerson, Rolling Stone magazine, June 22nd, 1972, at 4 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's not the first time we've seen that 4 a.m. thing, either. Although not in the shops yet, I was able to acquire a white label pressing of the current Jethro winner, Thick as a Brick, from their London agents, Chrysalis Artists. The group consists of Ian Anderson, Martin Barr, John Evan, Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, and Barrymore Barlow. Written around a poem by St. Cleve child prodigy Gerald Bostick, their music spins a delicate web of sensitive sounds, sometimes lilting, sometimes soaring to form a brilliant backdrop for the meaningful lyrics and improvisational techniques. Quote, one doubts at times the validity of what appears to be an expanding theme throughout the two continuous sides of this record, but the result is at worst entertaining and at least aesthetically palatable. End quote. Ian Anderson, a.k.a. Julian Stone Mason B.A., has not only slyly what? reviewed his own album, he's also supplied the newspaper which contains it. So that quote was from oh. Ian Anderson in the liner notes about the album. Very clever. Okay. Like so much flounder, Thick as a Brick <laughs> comes wrapped in the St. Cleves Chronicle, an <laughs> apocryphal yet typical daily of Anderson's design. Played across the front page is the Gerald Little Milton Bostick scandal. The epithet refers to the author of Paradise Lost, not the soul singer. Eight-year-old Gerald is adjusted, is adjudged unfit to accept first prize from the Society for Literature Advancement and Gestation, SLAG, by virtue of the questionable contents of his epic poem, Thick as a Brick. Gerald is one of Ian Anderson's incarnations and ruses. Besides lyricist and impersonator, Anderson is also composer, arranger, singer, flutist, acoustic guitarist, violinist, saxophonist, trumpeter, satirist, and overall conceptualizer. His adeptness at most of these functions, in particular his ability to balance and fuse them, has created one of rock's most sophisticated and groundbreaking products. Oh! There who's, it is. Who's eating crow now? Cut through all of the meat. Yeah. Most of the Chronicle's features display a dry, fatuous, very English sense of humor. Under the deaths column, there is the late Charles Stiff. And stories have titles along the lines of Mongrel Dog Soils Actor's Foot and Non-Rabbit Missing. Characters in, say, a page two story will turn up again on page five in equally ludicrous circumstances. It's all very clever, yet at first, seemingly irrelevant. <laughs> Page seven carries the words to thick as a brick. The writing is very dense and enigmatic, and the unidentified shifts in narrative voice compound the difficulty. The poem, as best as I can make out, is a sweeping social critique, as pessimistic about poets, painters, and the generally virtuous as it is condemnatory of politicians and other figures of authority. And what more perfectly encompasses or embodies the world Anderson aims to criticize than a daily newspaper? Well, 
Even the review is meta. The paper, in turn, <laughs> encompass, encompasses the poem. Furthermore, there are names in the poem which refer back to items in the newspaper. The poem reviews the newspaper just as Stonemason reviewed the record. The entire package operates with the elusiveness of a Nabokov novel. Like wind-up on Aqualung, Ian asks to, quote, spin me back down the years and the days of my youth, end quote. The son who is pronounced, quote, fit to fight, end quote, is helpless and incontinent. The man, quote, fit for peace, quote, will teach him to be a wise man how to fool the rest, end quote. There are only... So many quotes. There are only... I'm going to stop doing the quotes then. It's too many. Uh, there are only the doer and the thinker, the wise men and the fools. Yet the distinction hardly matters. Quote, let me help you to pick up your dead as the sins of the fathers are fed with the blood of the fools and the thoughts of the wise. End quote. Failure is inescapable. Mundane yearnings for the immortal Anderson renders with, absurd, with the absurdity of John Lennon's a soap impression of his wife that he ate and donated to the National Trust. <laughs> and where are all the sportsmen who always pulled you through? They're all resting down in Cornwall, writing up their memoirs for a paperback edition of the Boy Scout Manual. Stitched unobtrusively into this fabric of decay is a thread of salvation, and it lies in the music. I... It started out positive... I think, but then it, it just, he's so verbose and it's just so unnecessary. And I don't know if that was just the style of the time or what, but I just, I lose track of what the hell he's saying. It, it's, sure. it's basically, it's, it's review and it's Cliff's Notes. It's a Cliff's Notes, but it's even harder to understand than the actual song. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I will say that I think that, that you know, the style is probably somewhat a product of its time. Sure. And I think that there's, there's an attempt to really, even though, it's, even though it's an extremely verbose and very, as you say, you know, complex and almost opaque at times, writing about the music, I think that there is a genuine attempt to get to the the real meat of the matter and to really investigate what the album is about and how they are achieving the effect that they're achieving. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest, I have to take your word for it because I, 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 had difficulty understanding what what he was saying. I think it 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 helps if you are reading it on the page as I was yes. rather than listening to it. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we should include a link to the review in our show notes. Sure. Oh look, it's already in there. <laughs> who put that there? Who who put that there? I think that the thing he especially well does is breaking down the kind of layers of humor that, that Anderson is playing with between the lyrics, the music, and the fake newspaper that he has created and all the intricacies with, within that. 
it's almost like he prefers to talk about that than the actual lyrics because, you know, as, as we have also discovered, they're fairly frickin' opaque. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I acknowledge that, but kind of what I said earlier is, I, I kind of stick with that, is like, where there's no accessibility to this review. Mm. And there's no un- unless that was just the 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 way it was at the time was we are so highly intellectual we hear at at Rolling Stone that we are just going to spout diatribe for the sake of of big words. It maybe that was the case. Also, you know, I think that I suspect that. The reason that this, the timestamps are always 4 a.m. is because Ben Gerson is, is English and living in England. And so I think there's a bit more of an, there's a bit more of an English approach to it. Not that the English mm. are necessarily more verbose or intellectual than, than we meat-guzzling Americans are. But I do think that it sounds like he comes from a certain... I want to say, like, class of thinkers. You know what I mean? Like, it, he probably went to a fancy private school and got a degree in writing, and mm. then this is what he ended up doing. Yeah. And, you know, probably he was writing for his his peers, people who, people who use language the same way that he does. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I... I genuinely hope that because I want to keep doing the reviews, but I hope either he lightens up or they get someone else. It was just it's just frustrating to hear hear that for me. Yeah. Just yeah. What just, if I did it in yeah. a fun accent? Your Ben Gerson accent? Yeah. What would your Ben Gerson accent be? Let me pull the review up again. Ian Anderson, a.k.a. Julian Stone Mason, no, I, B.A. I, I couldn't listen to that for a half an hour. Has not only slyly reviewed his own album. That better? That's good. You're getting better, yeah. He's also supplied the newspaper which contains it. <laughs> That's Yeah, I like that one. That's good. All right, that'll be the next Ben Gerson. Please. So, Nick, thank you for tuning in to our newest podcast, Rave Reviews to Me, where we dissect word by word, paragraph by paragraph, every review that Ben Gerson has ever written. But now, would you like to get back to Talk Tall to Me and have a listen to the current section of Thick as a Brick? I think we ought to. Oh, this portion is called The Poet and the Painter. Okay. Goodness me, Nick. So that was, I think, what, a minute or five and a half minutes? I think that came out to be? Yeah, just about. That, of all the themes that we hear, that is, I think, my favorite, lyrically and sound-wise. Which do you want to tackle first, sound or lyrics? Let's do... Although, for this, they they may increasingly be harder to separate. Yeah. Let's let's do set. Let's focus on sound first. 
Amazing. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I very much enjoy about the sound of this section. What's that? How it sounds. <laughs> the thing. Well, well put. Well put. <laughs> the, the very first, the very first thing we hear is that kind of like organ. And it reminds me, I don't know if this was intentional, probably it was. It reminds me of of a news sting, you know? Here we have Yeah. Exactly. It almost sounds like maybe that's what old Gerson was referring to as the telegraphic syncopation or something. Yeah. And then straight away we have the this military style drum riff mm-hmm. come in and right and then and then almost immediately after that the flute comes in in a very in a very contrasting style very very lyrical very unregulated very seemingly uncontrolled and they 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 seem really at, at odds with each other thematically you know they're they're they create a real tension they're pulling at each other yeah which has it's gone from the the lyrics being kind of differing from the, the the sound of the music, which we heard in that first portion, yes, and really don't mind. And now it's particularly because a great chunk of this five and a half minutes is instrumental. They're really working on that feeling of unease, almost a cacophony, where they just they don't quite fit together the two sounds. But but yeah. seen overall, they 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 do still blend. Well, I think that they almost represent poles, op- opposing poles of feeling. Okay. And and that is such a great setup for leading us into the the lyrical themes of this next section because for me it's it's really all about it's all about opposing duality. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really it's a re- it's a big it's a big moment of dualism. Okay. Do you, and and should the, the, this leads us right into the lyrics? Yeah, I think it can. Before we before we get into to nitty gritty, I just want to say between between this whole chunk of lyrics and going back to so you ride yourselves over the fields and you make all your animal deals. The reason that always felt like medieval almost. Yes. Is is because of the poet and the painter portion, mm. talking about the soldier sheathing their sword, and and sure. you don't think about poets present day. You think of like a, a poet in the employ of a, a king or queen, you know, Indeed. something like that. Although, shout out to all the modern poets. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can't think of any, but Tanahasi Coates, poet okay. laureate. Oh, well, um. Um, <laughs> I saw a book of poetry while I was getting a coffee uh, yesterday, and I. Picked it up and read a poem. And you're going to recite that poem right now. Ruri Kapal? Ruri Kapal? Something like that. Not present. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. What were we talking about? We were talking about the... the, Oh, the medieval At least for me, the the, the imagery of... And because that's, that's how it formed in my head, what, 30, 20 years ago at this point... I, I can't not see it when he, when I listen to this song. Well, I don't think it's just you. I mean, the thing is full. The, the whole lyric, the whole poem, if we want to call it that, is is bereft of anything 
that pulls it into modernity. Yeah. And and yeah. and it's full of all these references that kind of take us back to either an, an imagined or a real kind of classical past. Yeah. Poet and the painter, the cattle quietly grazing, the builder of castles, the milking girl, the innocent young master, the poet sheathes his pen. You know, all this, uh, all of this feels in a different time period than, yeah. than ours. Yeah, it could. There, There's nothing that specifically pins it to that old period, right. but just the imagery given to us. So it could, it could technically be be allegorically present day like building castles by the sea doesn't have to be castles could be giant mansions you know exactly so i i i'm going to try to to disconnect that that thought of disconnect away nick i'm going that disconnect the of strictly thinking of it is that medieval kind of thing and see it as more allegorically of present day slash uh, 70 whatever, 70, wait for it. Two. 72. Uh, it feels timeless to me. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. it, it sort of anti-historical. It can fit to whatever, whatever period you want. It can fit to whatever imagery that you want for it's this. Almost, it's almost mythic in the sense that it... it, uh, it applies not to any specific time period but to the human condition itself yeah that that is mm, that was good it was really Thank good you. all right so let, let's let's get into lyrics themselves yes let's so overall we're a lot like you said musically the that there are these two pieces that kind of just don't work that kind of don't fit together lyrically we're also seeing that in our themes right of of the the poet and the painter both being people with a profession but right they, but diametrically opposed yeah absolutely and that's what the the whole thing is full of it you have you have this war versus artists you have mm-hmm. the the soldier versus the poet you have the youngest of the family versus authority you have even even things that are even things that are more like abstractly opposed, you know, the idea of a tardy tide. There's hmm. no such there's no such thing. Tides yeah. are inherently on time. You, yeah. The tide waits for no man. So the idea of a tardy tide presents this almost impossible duality. And I think talking about the poet and the painter ties back to teaching that ties back to the son and you, oh, indeed. you, 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 you put him to a trade, you teach him monopoly. And this right. is, this is kind of that, that fighting against that idea of being forced into a trade or doing the thing that's going to make you money, the most money, because that's what you do. Right. The mercenaries creed. Yeah, it's interesting that that he includes the word mercenary rather than just sh- soldier, because a mercenary specifically fights for money, mm-hmm. whereas a soldier is motivated, you know, by, in theory at least, love of country or or duty. And in this case, mercenary could be anything. A mercenary does anything for money. 
Indeed. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a fighter, per se. Right. Whereas a poet does nothing for money. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, I think, and, and I think we're supposed to think this, the, the, this is also commentary. This is also, this is Gerald's feelings of, of being a poet and seeing the rest of his life ahead of him and what he is supposed ah, to be doing versus versus what he clearly wants to be doing which right. is writing poetry very very beautiful and imagery heavy and biting poetry now nick do you mind if i um put a little more gas in the balloon and take us a bit higher i would love that we we definitely shouldn't use we shouldn't have a water balloon fight with, with balloons filled with gas, though. That would be oh, no. We <laughs> learned our lesson last time. <laughs> so I think that, in yes, there is the contrast between the, the speaker, let's call the speaker Gerald, uh, because mm -hmm. that's the character Ian invented, having a conflict between what he desires to do, let's call it poetry, and what he's being forced to do, which is to draw his sword. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there is, getting back to John Bostick? Gerald. Ben, ben Gerson? What am I talking about? <laughs> There's also... Oh, gosh. Getting sort of toward Ben Gerson's... <gasps> um, Gerald Bostock is GB and Ben Gerson is BG. Oh, read between I the lines. Need a nap. <laughs> getting to Ben Gerson's point about social critique, I think that what we are having here is a... Is a world presented to us where, where it is it is impossible to exist in, in a way. It is impossible to be the poet because the world demands this military engagement. Mm. And that there's you're, something you're saying conscription or just in general that it's that the, the world is a violent place. The world operates in a, I would call it a, a violent capitalist mode. Yeah. And an aggressively and capitalist. Aggressively capitalist, and everything stems from that. And and it and it it feels at times almost apocalyptic. It reminded me mm. of a phrase. And I looked it up, and I realized that it it, it reminded me of the beginning of a poem by William Butler Yeats. Yeats, William Butler Yeats. It reminded me of a poem by William Butler Yeats. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, just yeah, I'm, first, I'm super intrigued. Just the first bit, and I think that I, I really feel like there's a lot of, of sympathetic vibration here. Okay, and what is, what is the time period of this poem, do you know? What about William Butler Yeats? I don't yeah. even know. He was, uh, he was born, and uh, I think he's probably dead. End of story. End of story. I don't know. I don't actually know. Let me see. I can look it up really quick. 20th century Anglo-Irish, 1865 to 1939. Oh, wow. Okay. So William Butler, Butler Yeats was, was operating in the early 20th century, late 19th century. Okay. So this is the intro, or rather the first paragraph from The Second Coming by William Butler Yeats. Okay. Turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. 
Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I hear it. So take me through this this poem. Take me through this this excerpt that you just gave us. Okay. Well, I'm not a I may be a yet I may be an expert on yeeting, but not on yeeting. I may not be a yeatsbert, but I'll see what I can do. There we go. That's better. Let me get my William Butler into this seat. Hold on a sec. Let me let me Uber Yates the meaning to myself. Wow, none of that is usable, Nick. So obviously this is a very well well researched and, and probably people have written more about this poem than than Yates wrote himself. But I get the sense of I mean I think it's in I think it's in the 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 phrase, the center cannot hold. Things mm. fall apart, the center cannot hold. And that's what I get from this is that there is something so fundamentally amiss with the world that the very essence of, of nature itself is being perverted. So in, in Yeats, we have the blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is, dr- is drowned. With Ian Anderson, we have... And the youngest of the family is moving with authority, building castles by the sea. He dares the tardy tide to wash them all aside. And the youngest of the family is moving with authority, building castles by the sea. He dares the tardy tide to wash them all aside. You have the same kind of like, you know, the youngest of the family shouldn't be in charge. Hmm. And yet the youngest of the family is moving with authority. And the tide itself is late. And the castles are, are you know, something that, is, that should be a solid structure is being built out of sand by a child. You know, so it's, it's sort of like right. everything is wrong. Everything is the opposite of how it should be. And yet here we are. And it was just... It was just a natural progression of things that we were all so comfortable letting it get to this point. It was too late for a, by the time we realized what was happening, it was too late. Uh-huh. And the eldest went off to war and died and this and that. So now we only have the 12 year old who is the master of the family. Right. And I think that that's I think that it's more on a spiritual sense than a, than a literal, a literal sense. Right. Yeah, anyway, that's that's what it makes me think of. But I that's the sense of this section for me is that is that the center cannot hold, things fall apart. The home fire is burning, the kettle's almost boiling, but the master of the house is far away. Home fire burning, the kettle almost boiling, but the master of the house is far away. Things are working against their purpose in a way. Mm. And the and I, I kind of want to go back in in our next lines is it kind of it there there's a feeling of inevitability and a solidity to 
to this stuff happening and progressing whether we want it to or not, whether we're aware of it or not. Mm. And while everything is falling apart for society or this family or whatever, the the next two lines in the stanza are, the cattle quietly grazing at the grass down by the river where the right. swelling mountain water moves onward to the sea. The cattle quietly grazing at the grass down by the river where the swelling mountain water Cows are always just going to eat grass. The water's going to move downhill to the sea. Yes. They're yes. inevitabilities. Right. So so even, so then, yeah, no, you're totally right. He sets up this huge paragraph where everything is at odds with each other. And then we, and then as you say, we return to this, he flips it on, a, he, he inverts it so that, okay, now we have a moment where things are as they should be. It's, it's almost a really quick, sweet pastoral glimpse of just just a quick cut in between the chaos almost and is it is it introduced to that in for the same reason that we eat cranberry sauce with our turkey nick to give us a bit of a contrast so that when we get back to the meaty flavor it tastes more intense i mean anything to make turkey taste better but oh. yeah oh the shade Oh, tur- turkey's a, just a terrible bird. Wow. Go for go for duck or chicken, hands down. So- Tuned- sorry, big turkey. T- <laughs> Shots fired. Tune tune into uh... Jive Turkey with me. Oh, that's good. There that's it good. is. That's good. There it is. Uh, I I think, yeah, I think I think it is it is a contrast, and I think it's it's a lot of what we've been talking about this whole episode in in the terms of. The poet and the painter and the flute and the guitar and now the the familial man-made chaos and just nature doing its thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's true. It's nature, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're you're not gonna make a cow do something different. You're not gonna Believe me, Nick, I've tried. <laughs> you can you can damn and and move streams and everything but gravity will inevitably be pulling that water down it's only temporary that you're going to be stopping it water going to do its thing water going to water wawa wawa <laughs> i i love in i'm glad that you do i'm I glad do. that you I have love that capacity period period the the human aspects of, of this track, mm. the the innocent young master, the milking girl, et cetera, et cetera, yes. it all feels so dramatic and really almost tragic. But in the grand scheme of things, it also feels relatively inconsequential. Oh. If that if that makes sense, it like in in the long run, this stuff really isn't going to be that bad. It's only going to affect a generation or two. Well, I mean, to to perhaps slather some butter on that point, you know, we, we have... always where I put butter. <laughs> so we have, you know, in the previous stanza, we have the, the youngest of the family building castles by the sea, and then there's a bit of a break, and then we have the, you know, the little moment with the cattle, lovely. 
And then we have the builder of the castles renews the age-old purpose. Ooh, mm-hmm. What is the age-old purpose? Well, maybe it is telling that he contemplates the milking girl whose offer mm-hmm. is his need. The builder of the castles renews the age-old purpose and contemplates the milking girl whose offer is his need. Yeah, it gives us a sense of what the purpose is. It's sex. It's procreation, yeah. The age-old purpose. And then, a little bit later on, we have... And it feels like time is is time is time is progressing. We have you know there's a there's a sense of time moving on, things developing. And we jump to the end of that stanza. The oldest of the family is moving with authority, coming from across the sea. He challenges the son, who puts him on the run. And the oldest of the family is moving with authority, coming from across the sea. Like, yeah, you left a child playing with sand by the seashore, but now he's knocked up a milkmaid and he's got a sword in his hand and actually you can't drive him out of this world that he's created for himself. Yeah, he... He's become the king of his sandcastle. You're you're being away, presumably as a soldier, your being away has has left enough of a disconnect that you, even though you're older... You are. You've been written out of the story. Yeah. How does that make you feel now, Dad? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to build a sand castle with you. <laughs> and next week, Nick, we're gonna get into. Even more daddy issues with oh my the gosh. next section. The old the old man, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Now, Nick. Yeah, someone. We have talked at length mm-hmm. and at depth mm-hmm. and at width about Ian Anderson's relationship with his father as expressed in his lyrics. If little Gerald is is a fictional child version of Ian Anderson. What do you think that this section is saying about his home life? I give you license to speculate. Well, I mean, I think I think we've hit on it before is that maybe Ian was expected to carry on in the boiler fluid business and he just wanted to He was expected to pick up the the sword of boiler fluid. Yes, the 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 soiler fluid, and and instead of doing that, he wanted to build castles, i.e., create music. Yeah. Each song is a sandcastle. Each song that we is a sandcastle, and we are the hungry tide, trying to consume it all. The tardy tide. Oh, uh, we are the tardy tide. <laughs> yes, we are. That that may have to be instead of tall skulls, we'll call our followers the tardy tide. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick. Yes, Omen. This is obviously a continued conversation. Mm-hmm. And And will continue to continue. We it will continue to be continued. Is there anything else that you want to say about this section right now? 
before we sign off and tied ourselves away. To, I, I lost it. <laughs> I, I just think you, you brought up a good point. Let's, let's keep these, this story in mind. Let's keep this theme rolling in our heads as we get into next week's what do you do when the old man's gone and from the upper class? Because it's, right. as as a true concept prog album, it's building on itself and it's getting... Oh, it does. It's, it's, it's planting the seeds for a greater harvest the further we go on. Oh, yes. Thank you, Metaphor. So I, I, th- I think let's just, let's, yeah, let's just keep that in mind for, for future episodes. Well, until next time, there's no reason for the tide of your review to be tardy. Sheath your sword, pick up your poet's pen, and write us an eloquent review on iTunes. Yeah, I couldn't have said that one better. We would like to quietly graze (laughs) on the grass of your five-star rating. Let me ruminate on your review. I... Because a cow, they grass, they ruminate. I'm a milking girl. My offer is your need. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Would you like some milk? Oh, would you like some milk? Oh, who's oh, a pretty cow? Ooh, oh, Mrs. Jaglins, you're full of the butter today, aren't you? Oh, let, oh. To me. Reckless moms. Audio Network.